Today on Locked On Canadians, it's a belated mailbag, and we talk about the moves the Habs can make in the offseason and beyond. You are Locked On Canadians, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to episode 799 of Locked On Canadians. Thank you for making us your first listen of the day every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. So, of course, we're your team every day, and we are going to talk all things Montreal Canadiens every single day. My name is Laura Sab, also known as the Active Stick, coming to you from the future. And my wonderful co-host, Scott Matla, <laughs> is back from his vacation. Uh, I have missed him so much. Scott, how are you? Uh, how, I mean, this is kind of like belated because like we're posting this on Tuesday, even though like this is the first time we talked since you went on vacation. I'm good. Uh, here's the fun part for people now. We're back together for one episode. <laughs> And then Laura is disappearing for a little bit. So we are alternating vacations here. But the dynamic duo is back together now. And when Laura comes back, the Canadians will be done making us sad for two to three hours a night. So <laughs> uh, it's good to be back. It was a, If there was ever a time for a very quiet trade deadline, that's when I'm sitting on a beach in Jamaica drinking bright blue cocktails and rum. So I, uh, I think that's probably the best way to get through a trade deadline, honestly. And that was the thing is that the trade deadline was very quiet for Montreal. And I believe the Florida Panthers were one of the other teams that were extremely quiet. Love uh, that for us. Love <laughs> that for us right now. Love that. Uh, but it was a wild trade deadline with lots of trades happening. Um, and I know, Scott, you did cover this in your Friday episode. You did a little bit of recap of the non-trade deadline. But for everybody who's a bit upset, I think one of the things that I'm starting to come to terms with is that the Canadians have realized that this is going to take a lot longer than what anyone thinks. I mean, it's possible that the flip to rebuilding team to good team is like, is a quick switch at the end of the rebuild, but the rebuild is going to take a little bit longer and a little bit more patience. But I think that the Canadians, like they still have a lot of moves. Like as Kent Hughes said, you know, they didn't want to use their salary retention spots because they think that there's a possibility that at the draft there might be uh, a need to use them or something like that. So I do understand that the Canadians uh, are kind of playing the long game here and not the short game. And I, I also just kind of want to uh, point out that there are a lot of teams that made a lot of big moves last week and they're still going to make the playoffs. And I'm going to sit here. I'm not going to mention any because I don't want to jinx it, but I think everybody knows which team I'm thinking about. Um, and you're all going to concentrate all of your energies on that, as well as a certain other team uh, getting an unceremonious first round exit uh, again. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's the thing is like, I look at the trade deadline through two lenses that Kent Hughes probably could have traded Joel Edmondson and probably gotten maybe a third of the return that he wanted. And unlike the Arturi Lekkinen trade, okay, he still got pieces that he wanted out of this. A lot of things were out of his hands in this deadline. And him not trading it, a lot of people are going to look, well, why didn't you just do that? You still need to get try and get some value back. I look at what they got for Evgeny Dodonov and Denis Gurionov, 
And yeah, Gurianov's not a superstar or any means, but they got tangible assets that fit into this team right now. Trading Joel Edmondson for mid-round picks and like an AHL first liner is not maximizing return on that. If Edmondson plays the rest of this year, he doesn't have to be a superstar. He has to be solid. And you move into the draft and they have that one retention spot left because they're using one uh, on Evgeny Dodonov's contract expires July 1st. They're using the one on Nick Benino right now expires July 1st. So they will have those back and they want to keep that one spot open. That's flexibility that allows them that, hey, we as a team would like to trade for Joel Edmondson at the draft, but we need you to retain 25% of his salary. They have the opportunity to do that now. And that helps them maximize return on investment. And that's what Kent Hughes needs to do here. Because I had a bunch of people ask, it was a quiet deadline. What do you think? What do you think? It's kind of what I expected the minute everyone started getting hurt. And next year, Andrew Berkshire pointed this out on Twitter too with a really good thread. Mike Hoffman played a lot better this year. He's not scoring as much, but his actual metrics look a lot better. And there are going to be teams out there that follow that path line and look at that and go, okay, you know what? Maybe he's worth it now that he's on his last year. Teams are going to want a long-term rental, making trades in the preseason, during the offseason, before the draft, one-year deal, basically, in that they're they're not committing to two and a half months of this player. They're getting them for a year to load up for a cup run. And I think that fits very well for Kent Hughes. And the biggest question is, we don't know what's going on with Sean Monaghan, if he's going to be back or what. But I, I, I understand the frustration but rebuilds aren't a linear path here. Sometimes you just shoot right to the top and it's quick and easy. And sometimes you got to kind of go with the path here. Uh, I think Ken Hughes has done fairly well. It's not flashy. The next big test for him is what does he do in this off season here? Right. And and that's the thing is like, as a podcaster, like I've been really upset with the lack of movement on the trade deadline because I want things to talk about, right? Like I want things to connect with my listeners about, But at the end of the day, uh, I think that if we want a team that's going to be successful for multiple years in a row and have that sustained success and be a constant threat, like we have to have this pain and this patience that we're going through right now. Uh, We have time for uh, at least one mailbag question before we go into our next segment. So let's start with this one from Isabel M on Twitter. Hey, Lauren, Scott, I have a mailbag question for you guys, but I'm not sure if you know. But a few years ago, the Habs had a sword for the player of the game tradition. Do you know if that's still around or did that tradition fade away? I haven't heard of it in a while. So we talked about this before the show and I did a little Googling because I know I had tweeted about it. Shea Weber procured a sword with, I believe, a quote from Conan the Barbarian. He had it probably custom made and a huge fur coat uh, for the player of the game. Some teams do title belts or a hard hat or a jacket or something like that. And that he had those bought at the end of the 2018-2019 season for the 19-20 season when it was the player of the game. And that continued until that season was shut down by COVID uh, right around actually this time three years ago, which wild to think about. I don't I can't remember if they did it for the playoffs or not. But I think after that, with the way this uh, the next season in the bubble season Uh, They did away with it. As far as I know, it's hard to know because everything was done over Zoom. There was not media in the locker room to take the post-game player photos. And then I assume once Shea Weber was done following the 2021 Cup run where Toronto famously blew a 3-1 series lead, Shea Weber obviously was done 
with the Canadians being on LTIR, and that was that. Yes. Can you elaborate on that Toronto thing again? So they blew a 3-1 series lead to the Montreal Canadiens, despite being a far better team to the Canadiens, and it was hilarious. Many, many LOLs and LMAOs were had, and I think um, if you haven't watched the highlights of it, you should. It's very funny. Um, and then the Canadians went to the Stanley Cup final. And whatever happened after that, it's, it's hazy. I can't really remember, but it doesn't matter. But uh, as far as I'm aware, there's not been a new post-game tradition. I'd like to see them do one again. But uh, as far as I know, the sword and that retired with Shea Weber, so to speak. I like how it's like all like these, these, like they'll have like a knight's helmet or like a crown or like a, a you know, a, a WWE belt or whatever. But I want something that's like completely out there, like totally, totally out there. Like one of those, like, you know, those little propeller hats, like those, you know, something that's like not, you know, not, not a, not a, what do you call it? I don't want to say like ultra like macho symbolism or whatever, but like, I would love to see something that's extremely dorky. So with like Nick Suzuki being the team captain now, and like pit vipers being a thing, like sunglasses wise, like I could see it being that. I'm curious if after this season, if they do something once they kind of get their new core installed a little bit, because you have Edmondson, who's old school. You have Josh Anderson, who falls in the middle, and Nick Suzuki, who falls in the new school here. You have three different uh, trains of thought here. Honestly, even if they don't do anything, that's fine. The Rocket do when they have like the little Viking horn crown thing. Uh, I'm doing a very bad hand gesture trying to make this look right here. Antlers. Oh my God. Antlers. Yeah. Uh. I'm sure they'll do something. Uh, especially once they kind of get back to competing, I think, you know, not wanting to always celebrate after some of these games makes sense. But I do think that before too long, we will see them bring back some kind of uh, post-game celebration. We have many, many more mailbag questions for all of you. But first, we would like to thank FanDuel for bringing you this podcast. FanDuel is the official sportsbook of Locked On. The midway point of the season is here, and it is the perfect time to download FanDuel, which is America's number one sportsbook and our newest sponsor. Because new customers are going to get a no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000. Do you know what that means? It's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sports app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. And then you can bet on anything from the money line to point scores and threes drain if you're betting on the NBA. Um, And honestly, like right now, is such a great time. FanDuel is going to let you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same game parlay. So don't miss a chance to get your no sweat first bet of up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the NBA and us. All right, Scott, are you ready for some more more mailbag questions? I am always ready for more mailbag questions. Now, we did discuss this, but our friend Casey asks, thoughts on the Habs signing Xavier Simono to his ELC? Scott, I wanted to give you a chance to riff. So, if everyone thought Brendan Gallagher was annoying, make him shorter, make him far more feisty, 
Xavier Simono is what happens when you take all those gritty assets that they talk about in like the Tom Wilsons and the Ryan Reeves and you put it into the guy put it into the uh, into the body of a guy who's the size of Napoleon. I love Xavier Simono and Hattie Kalakesh has been trying to tell people all year and going back into last year in his overage season in the QMJHL that he's going to be an absolute menace. And so far this year, his stats aren't jumping off the pages. The Rocket are not a team that score a lot out of individual efforts. It's more of a balanced across the team effort here, but he works hard. He gets himself into spots and he's never backed down from a challenge in any sort of situation. He's fought people a foot taller than him this year. Did pretty well in that. He's an ideal bottom six energy guy for the modern NHL. There's skill there. There's a willingness to score goals and stand up for himself. He's going to drive people nuts. And in the games I watched this week, he just kind of skates up to the net and he just kind of, you know, gives a little stick tap here or there. And he's got four people just trying to fight him. He's going to be a fan favorite very quickly. The point totals aren't going to be superstar level, mind you. But he's going to be a really, he's going to be that that fuse that sets off the keg of dynamite in a lot of different games. And it's going to be very funny to watch because he will be probably the smallest guy on the ice on any given shift. I'm excited. I hope he's in the starting lineup every sense game. Uh, our friend Paul G on tw- on, on YouTube uh, asked this question prior to the trade deadline, so I'm going to repurpose it a little bit. Paul's question was, uh, what non-Canadians trade would make the most sense for the team? So I'm going to put it to you, Scott. What trade do you think it, that happened uh, was made the most sense for whatever team executed it? I look at getting Jacob Chikrin was a big one for the senators as gross as that feels for me, just because it adds a solid defensive piece. Uh, the Rangers loading up on offense kind of makes sense. They're going to rely on Adam Fox and Keandre Miller a lot. Even the Oilers getting Matthias Ekholm made a lot of sense. And obviously Jesse Pugliarvi going to Carolina, just it it's written in the stars that it's like the perfect matchup for them is that he and Kotkaniemi are going to come together and somehow just destroy worlds on the on the Canes' third line. Which, okay, that's what Carolina does. To kind of flip that question back the other way, stuff that didn't make sense to me as I watched this play out, Ryan O'Reilly and Jake McCabe made a lot of sense for Toronto. Even Sam Lafferty. I do not understand Luke Shen. I do not understand Noel Achari. I do not understand getting Eric Gustafson. And now they are scratching Timothy Liljegren and keeping Justin Hall in the lineup for some reason. And they traded Rasmus Sandin away. And they're first, I believe, in that trade. I don't understand what their plan is on defense there. And then they went out and got smoked in a couple of games. Like, I'm not certain what they're doing with that defense when they had young offensive talent. Now they've mortgaged that to try and win. Now. I think this, this reeks a lot of this is a last stand. Luke Shen shouldn't be on your top pair in 2023. And you, I don't think trading Rasmus Sandin is a good idea, especially if it's going to lead to scratching Timothy Liljegren too. Toronto's deadline both made sense and made no sense to me at all. And maybe that's just me not seeing it, but I, 
a lot of it didn't make much sense to me uh, at this point in time. Uh, we've got another question from Paul G. Uh, it was meant for the mailbag that I missed on Friday night. The Ottawa trade of Zaitsev had me thinking, do you believe that sometime in the next three years, Hughes will make a trade and give up draft picks to get rid of uh, Brendan Gallagher and his contract? I know this sounds harsh, but can we really afford to pay $6 million to a player to just score 10 goals and is always hurt? I think it's possible the Canadians throw in a sweetener, but I honestly feel like they're still going to try and stockpile as many picks. My thought with Brendan Gallagher is this, is that there will be a team that will pay for his type of player. Go to the net, 10, 15, 20 goals if he stays healthy, and just effort. And honestly, one of the teams I look at because their front office is a bloody disaster is Vancouver. He knows the area. He played junior hockey there. And Vancouver wants a quick turnaround and they want leadership and whatnot. The issue is they're cap strapped badly at this point. And I'm wondering if Hughes can jettison Gallagher's contract and take on <sighs> Tyler Myers or something for a year or something that's going to be expiring to help clear the cap for that. I think there's a market for Gallagher, just like there was for Monaghan and Edmondson, et cetera. He's got to stay healthy. And that's the biggest thing is that they should just say he's done for the year at this point, come back next year. And if he's playing well, explore that, that opportunity or otherwise he's going to end up like Paul Byron is at this point, And he's going to be LTI retired. And I don't think fans want to see that. I don't think Brendan Gallagher wants to see that. Uh, it is it is probably the biggest albatross contract that no one is really talking about because people are focused on Hoffman and Anderson and this. At least those guys are playing. Gallagher's sitting on IR for like what feels like the fifth year in a row at this point. I do think if he can come back and stay healthy, there will be a market for him. But for right now, you they probably would have to throw in picks just to get rid of that contract. And so like that's that's the question that you have to ask yourself is like is it worth it to get out of the contract or is it worth it to keep the picks or stockpile more? I think for I, me, I, I honestly don't know what I would do. I think if my team starts playing well enough that I need to get him off the team, yeah, I'll start I'll, I'll start patch, yeah. packaging picks. For right now, there's not an imminent need for it because if he comes back, cool. There's a guy in your middle six that you can count on to be a dependable, you know, you know what you're getting out of him on the ice. Uh, but if they're going to open their contention window and you need to get that piece and it's not Brendan Gallagher, then you got to figure out a way to move that. But that is kicking the can down the road a little bit right now. It's not a move I would make unless someone comes calling for him, in which point then you go, yep, all yours and just send him out. Yeah, I think I see it. I agree. All right, we have tons more mailbag questions for you. Like, seriously, tons. We haven't even gone through most of them. But first, I want to tell you about something that I use all the time. I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted to take control of my health. It supports better sleep quality and recovery, and it supports mental clarity and alertness, and it is the one thing with the best things. Athletic Greens uses the best of the best products based on the latest science with constant product iterations and third-party testing. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, 
all the things. Right now, it is time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially as we are in the midst of the flu and cold season. It is just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements and all kinds of stuff just to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs, packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NHL network. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash NHL network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So Scott, it is time to get back into the mailbag. It's not actually all off the rails questions right now. It is like, there's still some more Habs questions. Usually we reserve the the end for uh, off the rails questions, but there's time. Okay, so this comes from my uh, episode that I did with Hattie Kalakesh last week or the week before last at this point when you're listening to this. And we talked about how, um, um, you know, picking a defenseman in the center is the best way to go. And so I asked this question on my last mailbag, uh, but I do want to hear your thoughts. So essentially what Hattie and I were talking about is that teams will often draft for need and not pick the best player available because they don't, they have like, let's say they have an abundance uh, of talent at a certain position. So do you really think, what is the best way to go for you when you are a rebuilding team and you've got a lot of players who are young and are expected to progress in the coming years, but also um, they kind of have, like they're all going to kind of blossom at around the same time. What do you do? Do you pick a demon and a center because that's what you need? Or do you just pick the best player available? I always go for best player available when things happen. Like last year, I look at what the Canadians did. Is that did they probably need another winger slash center in the system with Philip Machar after taking Uri Slavkovsky? No, but he was arguably one of the better players available, if not the best player available. Then they get Owen back. Lane Hudson is a swing. It's always draft the most skilled guy available. You know, Drafting for need can also be drafting the best guy available. If there's guy, if the Habs are picking seven and on their board are ninth and 10th ranked guys who fit what they need. Okay. But don't make a reach because you need to fill a center void. Like when they picked Kotkaniemi third overall and the coyotes went and picked Barrett Hayton, Barrett Hayton was not projected to be a top five pick. And it was seen kind of as a reach to fill a need. If you're going to draft for need, trade down into that space and collect more assets for that. I'm always going to be take the best player available. If they're picking at seven and that best player available is Will Smith, great. If it's Andrew Cristal, great. If it's, you know, Colby Barlow for some reason, which I don't think it will be, you go ahead and you take the best player available because you want to build the most skilled lineup possible. Have the best possible prospects in your system there. And that's kind of my draft strategy, especially when you have as many picks accrued as the Canadians have, you can get more swings at the ball than traditionally and take the risk on that. I would rather them try for upside than settle for, you know, high floor, basically. Which, again, totally makes sense. All right. We've got a question from our good friend, Robert Rice. With the Habs likely locked in between 6th and 8th overall for this draft, is it time to board the Matvey Mitchkov train given he could be available and has a superstar level ceiling? Now, the Habs have already said that they're probably not going to go in that direction. Here's the thing. Look at that guy's potential. I mean, 
Yeah, if he's there at seven, you take him and you run and then you make sure the pick with Florida is someone who's going to be potentially more in your timeline because Mitchkov will not be at the NHL level until 2026. That is when his KHL contract expires. And yes, there's a lot of things outside the Canadians' hands with this that there's not much they can do with that. They can't control the war in Ukraine with Russia and the bans that go along with that in hockey. They cannot control the signed that KHL contract. That's out of their hands. But if he is there at seven overall and he has fallen that far, oh my God, you run to the podium and you take him. Because like you said, superstar level potential. He's fallen down the draft board because people know he's not going to be here recently. And yes, Adam Fantilli is very good. And yes, obviously Connor Bedard was number one. But for the longest time, it was Mitchkov and it was Bedard. And it swapped because of a whole number of mitigating factors. But if he is there at seven, you should be sprinting to the podium and going, we're picking him and we'll figure the rest out later because that is what a good team will do. You can wait for skilled prospects, especially if you're rebuilding like the Canadians. A lot of these guys aren't going, unless they get Bedard, which totally in the realm of possibility, maybe. But if Mitchkov is there, you take Mitchkov and you run. Run, 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 and make it happen. Uh, Boondoggle asks, with Portillo being traded to the Kings, is there any chance now for the Habs to trade for Levi? No, zero, less than zero. As soon as Northeastern is done this year, I expect Devin Levi to be signed to the Buffalo Sabres almost immediately. If he's not and there's some delay, I would be very interested to see what happens, but I fully expect that Devin Levi will be a Buffalo Sabre before the playoffs begin. Uh, C-Dog asks, if Montreal somehow wins the draft lottery and we are set at center, if not, do you think Florida's first-round pick and Josh Anderson get Dubois from Winnipeg at the draft? Then we would have two centers at age 24 and 25 for the next six to eight years. We'd have three, honestly. If So that is assuming we don't get Bedard or we do get Bedard. Yeah. No, we, if we do get, get Bedard, Bedard. We win the draft lottery. So you'd have the Suzuki. based on the Habs pick being number one. Okay, so at that point, you probably don't need to trade for Pierre-Luc Dubois because you have Suzuki, you'd have Bedard, Sorry. you have Doc. No, I, I wait, I was wrong. Okay, so this okay. is based on, so if the Canadians win the draft lottery, we are set at center. If yes. they don't win, then we still have a hole at center. So do we take Florida's pick and package it to get Dubois? Or do we just I'm wait for a, another center? <laughs> I say you just wait for Pierre-Luc Dubois. Anyways, it's... The whole thing about it is like they have you have Owen back on the way, who is the center. And my thought is it all depends on it's hard to say because we don't know who's where the Canadians would be picking. If they're picking third and they take Leo Carlson, okay, you don't need to trade and add Pierre Luc Dubois to a group that also has Owen back in there as well. You're pretty well set in the middle there, and I don't mind them adding later in the first and second rounds. Unless they go like defense. In, in the top 10, which I don't think they should at all. I don't see a reason to trade for Pierre-Luc Dubois, and then you just kind of wait for him to hit free agency, honestly. Or, you know, if he wants out and the Jets kind of have to settle for a Patrick Kane-like return, cool. Then you worry about it then. I wouldn't package a top 10 pick for Pierre-Luc Dubois right now just because I'd rather fill the war chest with prospects because when you get further down the line and you want to extend your competition window... You want to make sure you have assets to do so in that regard. 
Are you ready for a quick rapid fire? I am. All right. Our friend DF Pendries, which hab do you think is the best driver? Absolutely Nick Suzuki. It's absolutely Nick Suzuki. Which hab player will lead the team in points at the end of the season? It's also Nick Suzuki. Nick Suzuki. <laughs> <laughs> um, what or who would you trade to change all West Coast games to start no later than 10 p.m. Eastern? So this is from, from Emily, our friend Emily. I almost called you goalie droid. I'm sorry. Um, no, 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 no. I would like not 10 p.m. Eastern. I am old. Like 8 p.m. Eastern is the latest I will go. And I will literally trade. I won't trade Cole Caulfield or Nick Suzuki, but everybody else is on the table. I will give up like soda to have like most games start 8 30, 9 o'clock at the latest. I can handle 9 o'clock. 10 30 p.m. starts are a war crime, basically, against me personally, because I am tired and me. a lot. And me. <laughs> That's why I missed the mailbag. I literally could, I was not able to do it. Like I literally like was not a functional human being. All right. Uh, Matt B on Twitter. Should the Habs buy back one contract this summer? And if so, who? No, no, no one. Um, yes. And so the other question was, could Pizzetta be traded before 3 PM? The answer ended up being no, but also I don't think that um, there, there was too much of a market for him because if, if the Canadians were going to get anything for him, they would have traded him. Um, so, uh, this is from our friend, the Bengals fan. Uh, do you feel as though the Habs have missed out on making moves that could have really helped the franchise this year? Uh, for example, oh, Tolvanen got claimed for nothing. Puyarvi got traded for a bag of chips. Portillo for a third. I think the Habs could have made offers for those players without giving up a lot. Are we missing out on some moves? I I don't. I think they did what they could in that maybe they just didn't think Puyarvi was a fit. Or maybe Puyarvi just didn't want to go to Montreal. Who knows? I, I think we'll be able to judge this entire season based on what they do leading up to the draft with their assets. Because it's like we talked about earlier on in the show here is that there's time to still make these moves happen right now. Once more time has come off these contracts and makes them a long-term rental instead of a, you know, two month rental at that point, I will judge it fully after the draft has come and gone on this year which I think is the fair way to do that. And then free agency starts the next cycle of that. But I don't think they've really missed an opportunity. I just think they've got a, they've got a tighter landing window than they did originally. So we are um, almost at the end of the mailbag. We've got a few more left. Uh, Tyler L asked a question about optimism, which I think we answered in our first segment. Uh, It wasn't directly an answer to Tyler's mailbag question, but it essentially addresses all of the points. Um, And then we've got our friend, Victor Maxwell. Mailbag question. I do not know if it is the players or the medical staff, but having players play injured like Monaghan, Edmondson, and even Caulfield has hurt them more than helped them. Why did the medical staff clear Monaghan to play with a broken foot? It just does not make any sense. It led to the re-injuring of his hip. I also hope the Habs will better address their needs at RHD, right-hand defense, uh, and left wing at the 2023 draft, among other needs. Like, honestly, I think the NHL should just, like, literally penalize you for clearing injured players to play. At a certain point, like, you have to hold people responsible for it. And I saw something very interesting from the NFLPA this week. They talked to players on every team and had them rate facilities and training staff and food and family dealing and everything. And teams that did not score well on this are being questioned by the NHL, the NFL on why. And I think the NHL needs some kind of system here that it's like, Hey, this player played seriously injured. 
you're going to be fined an undisclosed amount of money because they'll never tell us what it is. Enact a punishment. Players shouldn't play hurt. It's just a game. Simple as that. I absolutely agree. Um, our nemesis, Will, asks, why do people with MBAs like personality tests? Actually, love personality tests. I don't have an MBA, so I wouldn't know. Hmm. Hold on. Read the question one more time. Sorry. Why do people with MBAs love personality tests? I don't know. I should ask my friend. She has an MBA. I don't know. Maybe okay. it's a business thing. I'm we'll, not a business we'll person. Back. so. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will report back. Um, and two more questions. Uh, one is, again, from our nemesis. Why am I so tired? Um, well, when you find I out, let we'll me know. Long days... Yeah. Will I spends too Will much time on Twitter just tweeting our life. Yeah. We'll just stop not tweeting like, so not much. Not like we don't do that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we don't do that. We've never done that. Uh I think he's just like he, thinking up ways to be like an abominable person is exhausting. And I think that's what that's what Will spends all his time doing. <laughs> um, uh, and then finally our friend Rick B brings back as the puck moves. I think that's what we call the soap opera. The intrepid owner of the Houston Wranglers me is shopping she wants another sports franchise to add to her stable what she wants she gets what franchise gets added from what sport worldwide she then calls scott from his jamaica vacation to make it happen okay first of all even as a boss i would never bother someone on their vacation <laughs> but let's say let's say the houston wranglers owner who wants another franchise from another sport all right scott here's this um i would like a vanity uh premier league franchise okay so you want a vanity premier league franchise so you need one that's up for sale currently rich. and you're very rich yes. and one that's currently up for sale so you're buying manchester united who are currently up for sale oh right now am i really i mean do, vanity do you, do you they want have all... what's the okay i don't so want anything to do with manchester united so that's <laughs> So I have to hire somebody else? I mean, no, it's just we'll hire like an intern to run like all the socials for this, like and everything related <laughs> to the team there. Because one, I don't want to run a soccer franchise, football franchise, because I don't there's so much more that goes into it that makes me feel like I'm taking crazy pills when I'm trying to understand it. So but if you wanted a vanity franchise to fold into the Houston Wranglers extended cinema universe here, like Pittsburgh did with <laughs> Liverpool and the Red Sox and everything else. Manchester United is quite literally for sale right now. So it makes the most sense to buy that and have immediately one of the most recognizable brands in European football. Wait, Pittsburgh bought Liverpool? Uh, Fenway Sports Group owns the Red Sox, the Penguins, part of a racing team and Liverpool. Oh, okay. See, because I knew that Fenway owned Liverpool, like Liverpool, but like Penguins, like I didn't realize that that same ownership. Oh, all right. Um, I'm not going to cheer for the Penguins. Never in my life. <laughs> this has been a really long, fun mailbag uh, episode. I'm glad that I got to spend a little bit longer than normal with all of you because I'm now going to be gone for a few weeks. Um, and Scott will handle the podcast all by himself. Please be kind to him. I know he's got a lot of fun stuff planned. Uh, in the meantime, you can check out our podcast. For those of you who don't like hearing my voice, 
now's the time. I'll be gone for a few weeks. So you have to listen to every single episode. Tell all your friends. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at LO underscore Canadians. You can email us at LockedOnCanadians at gmail.com. You can also leave mailbag questions in the YouTube. Just write mailbag question in your comment. Um, also, obviously, subscribe to us on YouTube and hit that bell so you'll know whenever uh, we put out a new episode or Scott puts out a new episode, as it were, you can find us on Twitter. Scott is at Scott Matla. I'm at The Active Stick. Thank you so much for listening. Scott, we'll see you tomorrow. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And, because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.